0: Hello and welcome back to Blind Spots. It's a uh, new year, but same old podcast. This is the Film Inquiry podcast wherein I, Jake Tropila, share a film that I love with my co-host, Christy Strauss, and she in turn shares a film that she loves. Then we talk about them. Christy, how are you doing this evening?
1: Doing great. How
0: are you? Yeah. I'm doing alright. And can't really complain, busy with work and such, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to be back into this after uh took some time off to enjoy the holidays and get settled into 2021, but uh, yeah, now we're back and hoping to produce some of these uh, episodes regularly, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, and this new year doesn't feel anything like the last year, so that's great. You know, yeah, yeah,
0: as- <laughs> it's great. It's like uh, the opposite side of a coin, the same Totally.
1: Coin. As soon yeah. as midnight came on the first, it was just... Reset. So.
0: Yeah, the sky turned from red to blue, and uh, all was well. But, uh, yeah, we, we kid, of course. We like to do that on the podcast. Um, but uh, what we also like to do is uh, watch and talk good movies. And uh, for this episode, we were aiming for something a little more feel-goody, I would say. Um, so we'll start with the film that I introduced to Christy. Uh, I was uh, quite frankly shocked to learn that you had never seen 1988's My Neighbor Totoro, directed by Hayao Miyazaki. I know. Wow. Yeah. So uh, this is a movie that, um, I, like, growing up, I grew up with as a kid. Like, I've seen this dozens of times on VHS. Just my mom brought it home one day for me and my and my younger sisters, and she said, hey, guys, look at this movie, and we watched it and fell in love with it and just replayed it over and over again, and we're... You know, like drawing images from it, like, you know, acting out scenes from it. It was just a movie that like the entire family fell in love with. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, and it's still, I was, I hadn't seen it in a few years, but I was still really pleasantly surprised to find that it holds up beautifully as an adult. Um, it is just so much, so much good stuff, so many perfect things about it. But before we get into the film itself, uh, Christy, what were your thoughts on My Neighbor Totoro?
1: Yeah, so no, I really enjoyed it. And yes, I mean, I could have lied, Jake. <laughs> I could have just said I had seen it. Um, no, it was one that I, has been on my list for a really long time. As we go through these, I learn more and more that there's many of those I need to watch. So this is a great motivation to do so. But yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I, I don't have those obviously nostalgic kind mm-hmm. of, uh, parts to connect to. And so just, you know, fresh face, <laughs> fresh face, uh, at mid thirties. But yeah, it was, um, still it was very um i thought it was really sweet and just um kind of beautiful and i i could totally see like as a kid like acting out some of these things so it sounds like i missed out in that way it's
0: it's, it's quite a lot of fun and um are you uh, are you were you familiar at all have you seen any other uh, ghibli or miyazaki films
1: yes i have though i still do have uh, a list we'll have to discuss it at some point cuz mm. i'm sure i'm sure they'll come up but yes Perhaps
0: yeah, I yeah. Uh, I know that's uh, our first episode of Blind Spots I recommended an anime film to you with uh, Perfect Perfect Blue. This film is uh, not at all like that. It is uh, <laughs> it is much tamer by that film standards, but um, yeah, my neighbor it uh, stars. Uh, there's a family. There's uh, two sisters, uh, Setsuki and May. Setsuki's an older sister. She's about uh, I think she's supposed to be 11 or so. May is four. Uh, they've just moved with their father out to a new home in the countryside. Uh, while their father is a university professor, so he's mostly at work during the weekdays. And um, they have a mother who's in the hospital. She's uh, suffering from some illness that we don't really know. Um, it's Mostly this is taken from Miyazaki's own experience with his mother. She was always in and out of the hospital. So um, her illness is never made clear, but it is evident that she's not been home in quite some time. So the uh, girls, you know, see her, visit her whenever they can. Um, but upon moving into this new house, they find that, uh, A, it needs a lot of work. It's kind of uh, ramshackle in spots. But uh, also the house and the neighboring forest around it are teeming with life, uh, most notably in the form of our titular Totoro figures. And uh, there's uh, three of them that we see. There's a little, a little white one. Then there's like a medium blue one, and then there's the giant gray one, who I think most people are familiar with. Uh, and I think uh, I think if you've never seen this movie, um, you've probably at least definitely seen the the poster for it, which is uh, Satsuki standing at the rain at the bus stop in the rain. She's got the umbrella on, and then there's just the giant Totoro next to her, staring straight ahead. He's got the leaf on on his head. You've seen that image before, right? Yes,
1: yeah, I, I yeah, no, I had, it just took me a second to unmute, but yes, I have seen yeah. that image. Yeah, yeah.
0: so. It's and intriguing yeah,
1: all, in itself.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like, honestly, one of the, one of the most, like, famous, I would say one of the most famous stills in, in cinema, uh, or just like one of the most, you know, posters that, like, people can recognize, and then so much so that the Totoro is just, uh, he's, he's basically become the Studio Ghibli uh, mascot. If you watch any of their films nowadays, it has that, the blue, title screen of a uh, Totoro and I think he's got a little creature on his head. His ears look like giant pine trees, but, um, yeah. So yeah, this is a very, this is just a very like lovingly animated and very sweet and beautiful film that quite literally everyone in the family can enjoy. I think there's something for everyone. And, um, I was, uh, I was kind of again, going into this worried that this would be a film that, uh, I, you know, kind of only held fondly from memories as a child But I might even love it a lot more now just because I've seen thousands and thousands of movies between it. And I think for this to just hold up and go beyond my expectations of what I would see as an adult uh, is just a mark of something that is just so, so pure. And at times like so transportive, too. There's just so many elements. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh I, I'm curious yeah. to hear a little bit more about what you thought of uh Yeah, and I it.
1: love that, by the way, when you watch something that you loved as a kid and it actually, you know, yeah. sticks. Like we talked about that on one of our film inquiry roundtables early on. Mm-hmm. Um that doesn't always happen, so it's always nice when it does. Yeah, no, um so you know, it's an interesting story and I I also have to give props to the father figure who's like loving that this house could be haunted because there's like these dust like House spirit things.
0: Yeah, um, the little <laughs>
1: sprites. Yes. Um, and he's like, he, also just his response to every time they talk about, um, anything like s- spiritual, supernatural in a sense, uh, whatever these happen to be. Cause there's a lot of weird stuff in this film. Um, but yeah, I just always love his responses to them. Um, as well as, uh, another, um, older woman that, you know, helps and stuff, like just the general, yeah. like opinion of it is like, you know, these are, you know, loving things that will, you know, when you're okay and comfortable in your home, like these dust-like spirits will leave, and then um, obviously the ones in the giant tree will show themselves when they feel comfortable, and I just thought that was really cool. Moving yeah. on. Um, no, yeah, I, I, I just, I really did enjoy it very much. I love the whole idea, which is something that's, you know, definitely in a lot of films, where, you know, there's a child or children, and they're going through a difficult, experience and they kind of need this friend and sometimes it's imaginary, sometimes it's spiritual, sometimes it's, you know, like the loving monster or something. Um, so I think that's always a terrific, you know, element in film.
0: That, yeah, you just, you hit the nail on the head in so many places. Um, I'm circling back to the father. Yeah. I just love how like playful he is about the whole thing. Like, like there is no negativity in this movie. I mean, the mother is in the hospital, but, um, uh, you know, aside from her making a slow recovery, which is really kind of provides the only conflict later in the film, is uh, May is excited to see her mom, but she's kind of forced back into the hospital because she has a cold and her health wor- weakens. So um, everybody's, you know, uh, understandably concerned. But yeah, it's it's very much, it very much um, hits that exploratory nature of like what it's like to be a child. And I think some of the best stuff uh, that Miyazaki has ever done is just uh, May is, you know, she's, she stays home because Satsuki goes to school and just little, the little adventures that May has exploring underneath the house and the backyard and through the forest and where she sees the Totoros and starts following them because they're dropping the, the, the sea, the acorns from the trees <laughs> And then eventually, like, finds their secret hideout and lands on the giant Totoro, which is another iconic image, is Is her taking a nap on his belly. Because um, right. that's what
1: you do when yeah. you find a giant it's, weird thing inside it's, a giant like, tree.
0: That's yeah, just a you know, natural response. Exactly, yeah. It, it, it's a giant, huggable, imaginary bear. Or is he imaginary? We don't know. But, um, yeah, he's a... Yeah, I, I think, you know, that the Totoro provides, like you said, that that's that source of comfort that children seek when their parents and their siblings are distant. So they kind of look for any sort of means to cope with the world. And I think I think it's also it has a very like positive message because uh, Miyazaki's in a lot of his works. Um, it's kind of more subtly laced here, but he's also very much uh, like pro the environment. Um, like one of his films is literally about a warrior trying to like save the world from burning down, and here it's sort of seen through the the view of the kids planting the seeds to to grow the trees in their backyard. And there's a very beautiful sequence where they see the Totoros doing like a like a little tree dance, and they come mm-hmm. out and join them, and the they their dancing makes the trees grow. And the the score, I mean, this is this was the element that I loved the most this time around is the score by. Uh, acclaimed japanese composer joe Hisaishi. his music is just so loving and wonderful and it has it starts with this cheery opening theme the like, hey let's go and it kind of just welcomes you into the movie with its warm open arms and uh yeah it's it's just like a much like taking a nap on a giant totoro this movie is just like a giant warm blanket film
1: <laughs> i would agree and yeah the opening um opening credits just kind of like you know, immediately like grabs you and makes you smile. And then I would definitely say that the score is, is pretty perfect. And then of course the, uh, Totoro song, I couldn't get stuck out of my head. Uh, so get it. Yeah. yeah, So it obviously did its work there, but no, I, I would agree. And we can't not talk about the creepy cat bus.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, cat bus is so good. Um, there, there's a scene, so yeah, there's the famous uh, image from, like, all the poster work is just the, is the bus stop scene where Satsuki and Mei are waiting for their father to come home. They're, they have an umbrella waiting for him at the bus stop, which is very sweet of them to do. And so as they're waiting in the rain and Mei falls asleep on Satsuki's back, and this is actually the first time Satsuki sees the Totoro, is he just shows up and he's waiting for the bus too. But when the bus first arrives, it's in the form of Cat Bus, which is a giant, like, cat with open... Windows through its body. There's like no internal organs. That's just where all the people sit inside of it. And like the windows can expand into a door. And there's like a like a sci-fi noise to allow passengers to get on. And it has like it has more than four legs. It's like a like a part caterpillar. It can even fly eventually. It can fly. It's it transports the totoro's around. Um, but yeah, cat buses. Fantastic, and he even comes in to like save the day at the end. Um, he does. Yeah, and he's
1: thrilled about it because he's smiling like the entire time.
0: Yeah, the I mean the Totoros are like you know they're a little the little ones are a little worried at first like when they see May because they, they don't want to they don't want her to find their hideout but like all the like when Totoro gets on the the cat bus uh, they had just given him uh, their father's umbrella because he only has the leaf in the rain and he rewards them with like the magic seeds. But as the cat bus, you know, rides off into the night, Taylor is just standing in the middle of it, just got that ear to ear grin, um, which is an iconic image as well. But um, yeah, I I, uh, I I really just don't have too much to say other than just a lot of like praise of this film. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very thrilled. Uh, is there any other thoughts that you had? I mean, one thing also is that like just the the behavior of the two sisters and the children is very like it just feels so natural as well just especially in the way that May like mirrors and mimics everything that Setsuki does like when they're going through the house for the first time like May mm-hmm. is opening the same doors right behind her sister in the same way and she's just very much a character that you know emulates her older sister and looks up to her um but yeah so that that I thought was uh excellent as well
1: Yeah their relationship is terrific Yeah and I love May um I think she's kind of at the the forefront of it um obviously with the being younger and discovering things and um having that you know obviously when you're younger some would say you have more imagination um you know i don't know if that's for sure true but i think it's easier to imagine uh you know giant bear-like things inside trees if she did you know who's to say of course um either way the veil of just the other world could just be like thinner when you're a kid who's who knows
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the world is, you know, there's a lot of things you don't understand. And I think maybe that's why you don't explicitly learn the mother's illness is because as a kid, you don't understand what is wrong. You just know that your mother has to be away from you for a while and it sucks. But you, you you try to hold on to the memories and, you know, you save, you save that ear of corn to give to her. So for when she's uh, finally all better. So
1: exactly. You don't really need to know why she's sick. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um oddly enough this movie reminded me a lot of um The Florida Project which uh, came out a few years ago and it's a film that I love um notably in this just the stretches of the three children wandering around <laughs> Florida when they are you know taking a break from living at the the motel like they go out into the woods and there's the giant tree that's fallen over and I think I think there's a lot of Totoro qualities in in those sequences um Yeah but uh and then that, something huh? yeah and then uh, one more thing I wanted to add, because I had no idea this existed until I saw the film just a couple nights ago and uh, was doing some research. Uh, but if you love May and you love the cat bus, um, but Miyazaki produced an animated short film, which acts as a sequel to this movie. It's called May and the Kitten Bus. Uh, and if you're listening to this, I urge you to Google that title right now, because it's May riding around in her own little personal uh, may sized cat bus. But it's the kitten bus, and she goes on an adventure with that. Um, it's, Aww. it's unfortunately only ever, uh, screened at a, uh, Ghibli museum in Japan, but somebody has actually, if you Google, I think you can find a, just a video copy of somebody who recorded the screen with their phone, like surreptitiously behind some patron, theater patron heads. But, uh, yeah, May and the Kitten Bus, I think is, uh, if you want a little Totoro Koda, uh, check it out. It'll offer you a nice little, nice little something extra. Yes. But, um,
1: I sat on at the end there. I will also just say, um, I didn't watch this as a kid, but it it does kind of make you feel like a kid a little bit in ways. And that's always a wonderful thing. Like, I remembered how much I wished I had a big tree that I could, like, live in. It was like a dream as a kid, right? Isn't that, like, everybody?
0: I I wanted a treehouse like so badly as a child. Like I would yes. see it in movies all the time. It was, it I was in it, all
1: movies. I thought everybody had one, but me. Uh, it was on, I like, know. Every-
0: like another one, like the Page Master with Macaulay Culkin. I think he has a treehouse in that. And like uh, I wanted just like my parents to go to Home Depot and get some wooden planks. And there was there were no good trees around. And there was, <laughs> this was no. It was treehouses are like just a thing that only exists in movies. I feel like every child wants one, but they don't exist.
1: Yeah. We need
0: to we need to bring back tree houses. Um, I think so. We're gonna start
1: yeah. a start something here. Yeah. Hashtag bring back tree houses.
0: Yeah. Twenty twenty one is the year the tree house. We'll all get we'll all be living them at least if the economy goes south. But uh yeah, so um on that Totoro, Yeah, on the, on that happy note, um yeah, why don't we uh so yeah, go see my neighbor Totoro if you haven't already. And uh yeah, Christy, what did you uh which film did you bring this week? Yeah, so this one has
1: some darker elements, though I do also think it's you know a very moving film. Came out in 1999. The last Halstrom film, The Cider House Rules, which stars Michael Caine, Tobey Maguire, Charlize Theron, Paul Rudd, Delroy Lindo, a bunch of people. But anyway, um, so I I was surprised that you hadn't seen this movie. This was one that yeah. I watched when it came out. I've seen it, um, you know, a few times um, since I first originally saw it. And it's just one that always stuck in my head. You know, it was a movie that I, I found to, you know, this is something that is a young adult kind of finding his identity. So, you know, we were just in kids and now we're in young adult. Um, but basically, it's about Homer Wells, who's played by Tobey Maguire. And he's an orphan. He's growing up in a Maine orphanage. And it's the the head of the orphanage is uh, Michael Caine. And he basically learns kind of the practice of being a doctor through Michael Caine. And that does include they secretly do you know abortions. And I should state that this was like
0: feels like it's I mean, uh, what war is um, Paul Rudd fighting in? I I guess it's World War Two. So, yeah, this is like said in the early 40s.
1: Yeah, he one day is treating or assisting Michael Caine in treating um, a patient who is Charlie Theron, who came with Paul Rudd to get an abortion, and that basically leads him to kind of go on a journey. But before I get into the plot, et cetera, too much, what did you think initially?
0: Yeah, I like this movie. Um, I think Hallstrom, Lassie Halstrom, he has a very, at least in his early uh, work, he's got a very interesting brand of... um uh, melodrama, um, and that's not a bad term for anyone wondering. But uh, uh, it's uh, it's it harkens back to um, like I, I love his. Uh, I think it's his first film. Even My Life as a Dog is a film that I cherish, and I actually also really like What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Uh, and this film is kind of in the same uh, vein as the latter film. Um, but I really I really liked uh, the Cider House Rules. I think it, it takes a bit to get going. There's a an extended uh introduction with Homer at the um and the uh let's see here in the prologue um that's uh set at the uh the orphanage which also acts as a uh the doctor's office for um Michael Caine. but um yeah it's interesting to to kind of see the coming coming of age story of an individual who has not had a uh, typical life and has you know learned the trade of being a doctor and is arguably better than most people are at it, but he has uh, honestly has, has had no real human connection. Um, you know, he has, he's very friendly with all the other boys in the orphanage and he's a good assistant to uh, Michael Kane, but he's, you know, he's never felt like real love. He's, we see in, in the intro, he's actually been through two foster homes who did, ultimately couldn't take to him and he was beaten in those. So he's kind of just lived life as a damaged individual, but, um, yeah, it's nice to like see him, especially once he gets onto the apple farm. It's the movie really kind of takes off from there. It's it's nice to see him kind of find his way and experience life that has been deprived of him for so long. Um, yeah. yeah,
1: it's definitely a very um, you know strange upbringing. Obviously, it's going to be difficult you know being raised in an orphanage to begin with, um, but then also you know learning this trade and. And then learning this trade and um, mm-hmm. everything that comes with that. And then also the way that he leaves. Basically, he just decides to take off with them, um, which is just obviously very uh, spontaneous. You don't know these people. Uh, of course, this was back in a time where I guess people trusted people more, but that's okay. Um, and sure. yeah, he decides to go with them. And Paul Rudd's family runs uh, an apple orchard. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, at first he just gets a ride and then he just doesn't know where he's going or what he's doing because he has, you know, nowhere to really go, which I I imagine in a sense can be kind of, um, you know, just freeing, especially when you've been confined to this one place. But he travels, um, I think they go to the coast of Maine and, you know, he works under um, Delroy Lindo and a with a with a group of people in a kind of like this it's kind of like secluded, almost like a um, bunkhouse sort of situation and they, they make cider. Um, yeah. and you know, there he continues to see Charlie Seron while, um, Paul Rudd is serving in the military and they obviously become close. Um, as he, you know, kind of just figures out who he wants to be and what he wants to do with his life. And there's, there's something kind of beautiful about the story. Obviously there is, um, you know, some sadder, like sad and dark elements, etc., but, I think he basically finds his calling, someone that basically just learned hands-on, which is not something usually you would do as a doctor, but um, he's never met anyone. And by meeting people and forming these friendships and these bonds and and everything, I think he grows as a person and then realizes who, who he is. So I don't know how much of the plot to really divulge, but it's a movie that's always resonated with me, and I think it's... I really think, I, I think that he can sometimes go a little bit too melodramatic in his films, and there are a lot of them that I really like. Uh, Gilbert mm-hmm. Grape is one of us, I watched all the time when I was a kid, and yeah. there are some that are kind of just, I'm not a huge fan of. This is one that always st- stuck with me.
0: Yeah, I mean, at least his earlier films, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a bit of sincerity to them that, uh, as opposed to like stuff that he's making now, cause I, I honestly, I have not seen a, a new Last Hallstrom film in, What's, like, I mean, this. Looking at his filmography, this is like, uh, chronologically speaking, this is the last film of his that I've seen because he's not to, talk about
1: some of the newer ones.
0: Yeah, he's 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 kind of just turned into a, a four higher um, schmaltz peddler. <laughs> I, yeah. I hate to say it, but you know, it's uh, uh, work is work, I guess. But um, you know, he's he's kind of just doing one thing now. But um, yeah, there's and there are there are moments where it feels like that the. At least performances and story are all are all you know pitched to the back row in a way as to make things obvious that you know oh, this is happening. But um, there's a lot of like l- beautifully quietly played moments. Um, like a, I love that they the first stop on the way to the cider house is that they take Tobey Maguire to the beach because they yes. learn he's never seen the ocean. And I think everybody—that's something I also hold dear—is that everybody should see the ocean once in their life. And yes. he wakes up and they're there. That's a very—that's a very lovely thing. Um, but then also the relationship he forms with Charlize, because he even uh, comments, it's—I uh, I forgot if the film—it's—it has voiceover, but it's not—it's um, not Toby's voiceover, right? Is it? Isn't it Michael Caine's voiceover? Yes. That we're hearing, yeah. So he he starts this relationship with uh, Charlize, but then he talks about how, like his whole life, just being in in uh, obstetric obs, obstetri, obstetrics that's the term. Just his whole life, he's you know just, he's been ex- literally exposed to female humanity you know, anatomy, but um has never really viewed a woman under that like a lens of of of, of like love and lust and. There's, you know, there's a very tasteful nude scene with Charlize where he like he sees like he literally sees a naked woman for, for the first time. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think, um, you know, I, I, I kind of felt bad for Paul Rudd because obviously if he's if he's the soldier fighting out in the war, he's going to be cuckolded by Toby Maguire. I mean, that's just where I predicted the story will go. I won't confirm whether or not that happens. But um, I will yeah.
1: confirm he predicted that,
0: though. <laughs> yes, that's true. I did <laughs> divulge that to you all, all halfway through the film. But, um yeah, also great is the uh I, I mean, I was this movie has a really good cast. So we've mentioned several names, but, you know, Delroy Lindo, who's had a hell of a year with 2020. He's just always fantastic. And he's mm-hmm. he has such a is such a great commanding, but also slightly menacing performance here. There's a, you know, a relationship with his daughter that is, that could require the, um, the call of, uh, Homer Wells's, uh, uh, expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I do enjoy back home, uh, Michael Kane is trying to forge a doctorate for him so that he can legally practice anywhere, um, which is great. Because he, uh, like you say, he has no, he has no, like, actual professional schooling. He's just, no. he's just all of his career comes from kane um,
1: Who's amazing in this as well? He actually won uh Oscar for a supporting role.
0: Oh, he did! I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Good. Good for. Uh, yeah. Good for uh, Michael Caine. Wow. Michael Caine. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's all. He's always typically great. Whether uh, it's I, true. You know, I just watched Muppets Christmas Carol for the first time a couple weeks ago, and you know, he's he's always he always brings his A game. Um,
1: he does. I don't know if he has a B game.
0: It's maybe Jaws: The Revenge, but uh you know. <laughs> I was gonna say if he does, you're
1: gonna say something right now, and then you did, <laughs> so that's good.
0: Jaws, yeah. It's funny because he his first Oscar he won for a movie, Hannah and Her Sisters, mm-hmm. um, which is a Woody Allen film. But the problem is he couldn't attend the ceremony to accept that Oscar because he was busy shooting Jaws: The Revenge. Um, that's just a funny little anecdote that I like. That is a
1: funny little anecdote, actually. I didn't know that. I'm yeah. glad I do now. Um, yeah, yeah. I bet he regrets that.
0: Oh, yeah. So many well, levels. Yeah, he only, all he says about Jaws is that he's seen the the house it paid for and it's very light and very lovely.
1: <laughs> That's a good yeah. response too. Um, yeah. So I found out that you do not like Tobey Maguire, but you did like him in this film. Just you know, I had to throw that out there.
0: That's fair. Yeah, I did say I I'm not a I'm typically not a fan of Tobey Maguire. Um, but I think I in the right role I think he can excel. Um, for instance, he's a, he's the best Spider Man. Um, you know, you, Tom Holland, (laughs) Andrew Garfield fans can keep it. Uh, I think Toby's the best Spider-Man that we've seen.
1: Even Um, in the third one.
0: Even in the third one when he's doing stupid, goofy, creepy emo dance down the street. I, I still enjoy watching that more than the MCU. Um, but like other stuff, I just don't like him in, like, I don't like him in Gatsby. And, um, I mean, this is not a good movie, but the good German, I don't think he's good in at all. Um, he's like, he's the bad, the bad German, German in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, he's, he's actually quite, he's actually really fine in this, in this movie. So, um, he did not annoy me as much as he normally does. Um, right. well, so, you said yeah. he's
1: really fine, so clearly he still did a little bit. No, um, I, I, I
0: have, I have no complaints against Toby at all. He's good. in okay. I will say, and his, his character also has an interesting bend in that, um, he kind of has this own personal moral compass that he's d- developed just on his own. And, um, you know, like as you said, Michael Caine secretly operates and does abortions in a time where, uh, like they were, you know, this was very secretive and women couldn't, you know, afford to have a child and, or it was for any medical reason. So he would happily perform the procedure, but this was something that Toby McGuire's character does not accept. And he, he sees it as like morally wrong, even though that's the field of, of work that he's that he's that's all that he knows. So it's yeah. also this inner conflict that his character is presented with.
1: Well, I think rules, obviously, it's in the name are a big part of kind of like a theme of it, too, because when they say the yeah. cider house rules are actually referring to a piece of parchment that has rules for the, um, the cider house, which is what I was saying, where they stay. It's like
0: yeah. uh, that little like
1: kind of bunk area.
0: Um, they're like that's sleep where they work, basically.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And it has a, a list of rules and he was actually the first person to the stay there that could read. And so he shares it with them and they're all pretty mm-hmm. like hilarious because they're breaking them like pretty much as he's reading them. But it's also, I think a lot about kind of defining, you know, who you are, um, but your own rules. Cause there's obviously like that's a consistent, uh, theme throughout the movie. There's a lot of things that are not necessarily fitting like societal or, um, you know, obviously. Illegal at the time, but different things like that, and still kind of figure out who you are. So, yeah, that's that's the cider house.
0: Yeah, and I always, I've all—it's the title of a film that I've always heard, and I—I I thought that it was a, a review of a location in the movie, the cider house rules. Nice. That a, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me know that didn't work, um, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, I did, uh, oh, uh, Dewey from Malcolm in the Middle, uh, he's in, he's in, like, a, a plastic, uh, lung to help him breathe. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, his character has a very sad exit, especially with, uh, Kane's it's reaction.
1: fuzzy, right?
0: Fuzzy, that's right, yeah. yeah. All the, all these kids have little, like, little muddy and... Yeah,
1: there's also curly... a young Kieran Colker,
0: Colkin, Colker, mm-hmm. Kieran yeah Kieran, Kieran oh. Colker is in this movie, <laughs> um... <laughs> Paz de, la, Paz de la Huerta. J.K. Simmons has like a blink and you'll miss him moment. He does. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, this is a, yeah, uh, weirdly stacked cast. But, um, yeah, and I do like that the, I won't say what it is, but I do like that the uh, ending of the film, like the last line echoes something that happens earlier. Just yeah. To be another character. So. Right. Did you so, yeah. also have a fondness for this film because it takes place in Maine?
1: Somehow I knew you were going to say that, but. No, it's, it, that's not it. I mean, it's actually something when I went into it that I didn't know. And I don't even necessarily think that when you watch it, if you're from Maine, it's like, oh, this is Maine. You know, I think, uh, it does have kind of an, you know, idyllic New England feel though. So, I mean, yeah. I, I will say that, but no.
0: But, um, yeah, so I think, uh, I think that about, uh, that does it for, you know, this episode of Blind Spots. We got, you know, two, two other films that, uh, to, to recommend if you have not seen them. And yeah. uh, hopefully... Both well, very enjoyable. And enjoy. Yeah, and very, very, very sweet films, ultimately. Yeah. You know, they both deal with, like, darker subject matter on the fringes, but they're not not bad films at all.
1: No, I think in a lot of ways, they can both be comforting.
0: Yeah, exactly. That was actually part of the challenge of, of this pairing, because, um, you know, again, I'm trying not to find a film that necessarily matches uh Christie's, but I also don't want to, like like i'm not gonna recommend like a violent revenge thriller to pair with uh the cider house rules and i was just kind of looking back at like films i grew up with and um yeah my neighbor totoro is one that leapt out to me as a film that i love and i just on a whim asked christy had you seen this and you said no and so here we are
1: yeah worked yeah. out
0: yeah a good pairing yeah all right excellent well yeah thank you again everyone for uh listening to uh blind spots um Uh, If you'd like to uh, follow me anywhere on social media, I'm at Jake Tropila, T-R-O-P-I-L-A, on all things. Uh, Christy, do you have any social medias you'd like to plug?
1: Yeah, you can go to our Film Inquiry Twitter, which is just at Film Inquiry, or mine, which is at Strauss, S-T-R-O-U-S-E, underscore Christy, which is K-R-I-S-T-Y. And, yeah, you can – and on Instagram, it's uh, at Christy on Film. So feel free to – you know comment suggest films for us to watch that we potentially both haven't seen i'm sure there's some out there
0: yeah absolutely and let us know if you've if you grew up with either of these films if you have any favorites of uh of this era um or let us know if you've not seen these films and you watch them let us know what you think we'd always uh we're always happy to hear from uh, our fans yeah but uh fans from
1: of tom holland who just don't yeah.
0: like you. <laughs> or, yeah, our I will be thrown onto a Marvel message board and uh, we'll be crucified. And our, our podcast will get a bunch of one-star reviews from a bunch of feckless idiots. But, um, yeah, enough about them. But, yeah, let's uh, let's wrap this up. So, yeah, thank you very much. I've been uh, Jake Tropila.
1: Yeah, and I have been Christy Strauss. So thank you very much for joining us for our first 2021 Blind Spots and hoping everyone stays healthy and safe.
0: Sounds good. Looking forward to a good year.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: All right. Bye.